Well, we've just seen through day 12 of the war in Ukraine and the violence continues. That means it's a red day on the markets with strong risk off across all asset classes with Brent rising sharply again. Big demand for the US dollar as well and not much else in terms of currencies. So perhaps with all this going on, we shouldn't be too embarrassed about using the stagflation word and not much hope of the war ending. Russia did offer a ceasefire and a route out of some cities for residents, but only if they went to Russia. Can't see that working, can you? Well, neither could anyone else, it seems. It's Tuesday, the 8th of March, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, well, the US dollar is climbing ever higher, up another half percent on the DXY, up to 99 now, almost 99.4 one stage. So that's almost a two-year high. But Brent crude is the big story. That got over $139 for the first time since 2007. WTI got over $130, both down now, but at $123, Brent is still 4.4% up on yesterday. Gold broke $2,000 for the first time today. Stock markets aren't happy at all. At close, 2.4% down for the Dow. 3% off for the S&P 500 and 3.6% for the uh, Nasdaq. All of those down in Europe. 2% off the DAX. 0.4% for the FTSE 100. 10-year Treasury yields in the US are up four basis points, although there has been an 11-point swing. Very volatile. Down, then up, then down again, then up again. 10-year uh, gilts are up 10 basis points. So same as the US, except they didn't have the swing back down again. And the Aussie dollar down 0.7%. The pound down 0.9%. And 0.5% falling the euro. The Japanese yen is down 0.4% as well, and a 1% fall in the Swiss franc, a 14% fall in the Russian ruble. Basically, it's halved now in the last couple of weeks. Uh, Nabs Ray Atrell joins me. So, I mean, just on currencies, first of all, uh, Ray, I mean, there's only one safe haven now, right, right now, isn't there? And that's the US dollar. The Aussie, which was doing okay early on in the week, it seems to have buckled at the final furlong. So, why the change of heart? I mean, after all, commodities were what was driving the Aussie dollar, and commodities are going even higher. Uh, so why the change in heart all of a sudden? Yeah, morning, Phil. There's a few moving parts, isn't there, just at the moment. But uh, as you say, I mean, the dollar has, has certainly been the preeminent safe haven currency. And, and you know, one of the things we've been noting here is that the yen hasn't displayed its traditional safe haven attributes. And I think the reason there is that obviously the, you know, the oil and the, and the energy price shock that we're all suffering is a is a big, what we call negative terms of trade shock for Japan. It's going to see a sharp deterioration um, in their trade position. And I think that is sort of, to some extent, is sort of offsetting um, some of its sort of traditional risk-off attributes. Also interesting is that the Swiss franc was actually, you know, briefly the strongest currency in the world yesterday. That euro-Swiss franc cross rate uh, actually fell below parity for the first time since the 2015 um, abandonment of the 1.2 euro to Swiss franc peg, it does look like the SNB has been in sort of trying to prevent uh, further Swiss franc appreciation. So uh, outside the US dollar, the Swiss franc is the only other major currency um, that is showing safe haven attributes. And perhaps, you know, if the Swiss National Bank was intervening, it did sort of help to pull the euro up um, a little bit. But as you say, it's still down 0.4. And that means that that dollar index that you've just mentioned um, you know, it is approaching those two-year highs. But in answer to the question, um, you know, we have seen a little bit of a reversal in oil prices from that spike that we saw at the beginning of Asian trade yesterday on the weekend reports that the US was seriously considering an embargo on Russian oil, uh, possibly in collaboration with uh, EU countries. And yet Olaf Scholz, the um, uh, the German Chancellor, um, has come out mm, um, rejecting yeah. that idea. So we have, you know, all this 
sell up what four or five percent on the day uh, as we're recording this, but um, but well back from mm. from the levels that we've seen. So um, I think that's that's probably just bought you know taken a little bit of the heat out of some of these commodity prices. But if I look at commodity prices, does that make too much difference? I mean, I, I, America wasn't buying a great deal anyway, was it? So it was very easy for him to say. And Olaf Scholz rejecting the idea. I mean, you know, I, I wonder how long he's going to hold on to that because even though you know he's uh, he's going to pay a high price, we know a lot of the oil isn't getting out of Russia anyway, and it sends the wrong message to uh, to Vladimir Putin uh, from from Germany of they're saying, hey, look, we need your oil. How are you going to negotiate any sort of truce out of this situation? Well, it's exactly what Schultz has said. If you look at his quotes, it's sort of saying, yes, we want to reduce our dependence, and there have been sort of I've seen Bloomberg of reporting. I guess it's a draft EU proposal, um, you know, about weaning, um, you know, weaning themselves off, um, you know, Russian mm-hmm. oil and gas, but you know, very much over a multi-year period. Although, you know, headlines in the last hour says EU aims to cut dependence on Russian gas by almost eighty percent in twenty twenty two. And um, talking to our uh, some of our commodities uh, gurus yesterday, you know, the view is that um, you know, effectively the only way that uh, that, that Europe can eliminate its dependence its immediate dependence on russian oil and gas is some form of rationing it's it's all of yeah. the the well, ways in which they can improve supply um are all you know things that will take um you know quarters and years to achieve and in the meantime um you know if, if mm. gas and oil is not going to get through to europe then uh, it may well have to be um rationed and i've seen a few reports sort of hinting at the possibility of that in terms of... Well, that would make the prices go crazy, although there is this meteorological concept, isn't there, called summer. That might help a little bit with all of it as well, because, you know, it is starting to warm up slowly uh, in Europe. So what's happening with uh, with bond yields then? Because they're actually rising today. I mean, is that just volatility? Uh, I mean, it's hard to pick a path through all of this, isn't it? Because stock's still taking a hammering. The VIX is... Uh, well, it's up to up to 34. I mean, at the start of the pandemic, just to give it some perspective, it was up to 66, but it's on the rise. But what is interesting as well, just while we're, we're talking about uh, stocks, is the uh, the European, uh, what is it, the V-Stocks Index, their equivalent of the the, the, the VIX Index, that got up to, up to 59. Uh, it was 24 a month ago. So that's actually leaping a lot higher than the, the VIX Index is leaping in, in the US. So again, another sign that Europe is, is bearing the brunt of all of this. Oh, no, absolutely. And, um, you know, I think that is... And, 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 and therein lies the uh, the underlying story of the weakness of the euro is that the eurozone economy, mm. you know, is clearly going to suffer um, much more than, than other parts of the world. And the you know, if I look at the euro stocks fifty as the uh, sort of pan eurozone benchmark, or I look at the German DAX, uh, they've both entered bear market territory overnight. So falls from their highs of of, of more than twenty percent. And if I look at the S and P five hundred, for example, we're down eleven percent. And although there's been huge amount of focus perhaps more uh, since sort of before the war with the rise in bond yields hitting the tech sector hardest you know the nasdaq is only down what 17 percent year to date so this is very much a um you know, a Eurozone story. Um, and as for bond yields, I think that, you know, yes, we're seeing some some volatility at the longer end, but we're still seeing the front end of curves uh, continuing to, or yields continuing to rise. So that flattening has continued again overnight. I think the two's tens US curve is, is flatter by, what, three or four basis points, something like that. So, um, you know, continuing to flash that uh, potential sort of recession indicator, if you like. But I think probably just that, you know, stocks have pulled up from the lows and as far as Europe's concerned might on the day just have been the excuse for a little bit of a a reversal Um, but also we're seeing sort of break even inflation rates continuing to rise so uh, the moves that we're seeing 
very much a sort of real yield driven uh, driven affair so far but um as I say, just uh, I think on, on, on an individual day, it's hard to, yeah, you know, to draw too absolutely. many conclusions about the volatility. Well, 2014, Warren Buffett gave some advice that was uh, don't hold money during a war, uh, put it into stocks, but obviously choose your stocks carefully. And uh, so commodity nations might be the, the focus. Interestingly, the Canadian stocks overnight uh, didn't really fall at all. They were they were pretty flat. Just one of the few nations where they were holding out. So I don't know whether we uh, we go back to 2014. Of course, was when everyone was when Russia was marching into Crimea. But this is a different scale. Well, that's the thing. I'm reading reading about that. Um, you know, um, recently I think it was also the, the Russian invasion of Georgia, which was remind me, fell 2008. Yeah, um, I think so. The oil price I think got to 160 dollars. Um, you know, so and obviously the, you know, in real terms, you know, the equivalent would be well north of that now, probably ten percent higher than that. I can't do the inflation maths in my head at this time of the morning, but um, just a reminder that um, you know that there is the potential you'd think for oil prices to continue to uh, to strengthen. So I don't think we're out of the woods by any stretch of the imagination you know, as far as commodity prices. And it's not but, just um, it's, it's not it isn't just oil and and obviously gas is going up. You know, manyfold in in uh, in Europe, but it's I mean it's not constrained to that, is it? I mean it's across all commodity classes. Right? No, look at um, you know. Um, Nickel was up ninety percent overnight. That is extreme. Right. Okay, so now I don't pretend to understand the intricacies of how the the big commodities trading houses operate, and you know, effectively, you know, representing producers who are forward selling their um, their outputs are effectively short of commodity futures. And then when you have these you know these rallies as we're seeing, you know, there may be you know the mother of all short squeezes on on very various commodities, and I can only believe that uh, there's something to that in explaining the strength here. But um, you know, the fact is, if I look at the London Metal Exchange Index, it's up another 3 or 4% overnight and not exclusively because of the rally that we've seen in nickel. So, you know, for commodity currencies, um, you know, yes, we've had a little bit of a setback overnight, but um, the absolute level of commodity prices here is still consistent with, with very much higher levels, particularly for the Aussie dollar. Um, but I guess the debate that, you know, we're all having is, you know, if we're staring, you know, recessionary forces in the face, you know, commodity currencies are also known as pro-cyclical currencies. And, you know, with the global economic outlook deteriorating, um, it's obviously questionable, you know, how much these, these commodity currencies, um, or as I say, pro-cyclical currencies can continue to benefit. Mm. But um, for the time being, it's the only game in town. And I wonder if it does continue, and we are seeing a global recession through all of this, isn't that the time when governments up their spending? I mean, while we're, you know, we're looking at trying to reduce spending and uh, reduce the balance sheets of central banks and, and how much of what we're doing to try and fix this issue to make sure it never happens again. So we had, for example, Scott Morrison saying, well, we're going to build a submarine base to house all those nuclear subs that aren't being made in France anymore. Uh, he, uh, he, he, he talked yesterday, didn't he, about this new arc of autocracy that is instinctively aligning to challenge and reset the world order in their own image, which I think he might be including China in, in that. And, uh, well, he was because he condemned, uh, China for not condemning Russia over Ukraine. So, I mean, if, if, you know, we're working for this new world order and we're planning for it and we're going to, um, we're going to invest in things that are not going to make us so dependent on oil from these nations. You can't do that without government money, can you? Well, no, but let's look. Uh, we go back. We're, we're almost what two years to the date from the, uh, the, the 
the global pandemic, aren't we? And, um, mm. you know, we all were staring, you know, one of the biggest economic shocks that uh, that we've experienced in the, in the not just post-GFC, but post-World uh, War Two. And, uh, you know, the response was easy, right? Inflation was running at, uh, you know, at or below yeah. central bank targets. Um, central banks still had some firepower, um, which they used immediately. And, and fiscal policy, you know, was massively expansionary. You know, fast forward two years and uh, most... Um, central banks are, are tapped out in terms of what they've been able to do and want to go the other way because inflation is, is two or three times what it was um, two years ago. And, uh, you know, and government balance sheets are in much poorer state than they were back then. So you know, I think you have to see, yeah. you know, what a policymaker is going to do today compared to what they could do two years ago. It's, it's chalk and cheese. Yeah. Well, Philip Lowe is talking tomorrow. Going to be interesting if he's got any ideas at all. Uh, by the way, uh, just mentioning Scott Morrison again, I'm wondering whether he's, he's been listening in because uh, Dave DeGaris uh, last week talked about the shift from, uh, you know, I had a similar conversation to the one we've just had just now about uh, about supply chains. Uh, actually, it's not it similar. I'll, I'll, I'll edit this. Dave DeGaris was uh, saying last week, and there goes that beep. Sorry. Uh, Dave DeGaris was saying last week, uh, you know, we, we were talking about the shift uh, in manufacturing, and he used the phrase, which I hadn't heard before, from just in time to just in case manufacturing. And there we were, Scott Morrison, yesterday, talking, he used exactly that line. So maybe he's getting There you go. Well, you've, t- you've been telling me that the listenerships have been going up for the podcast. So, so maybe it's coming out yeah, of the lodge or camera. I don't have the names. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Who knows? Now, look, uh, today, the uh, NFIB Small Business op- uh, Survey, Optimism Survey, or, or lack of, uh, for February in the United States, uh, the US uh, January merchandise trade balance, uh, not too much to tell out of all of that, I wouldn't have thought. In other news, by the way, more than 6 million people around the world have now, now died from COVID. Uh, globally, the death rate, I'm just mentioning this because it's something we've all forgotten about. Globally, the death rate is where it was in the right after Christmas. So obviously there's a need to vaccinate before another strain hits. Just to, just to throw that on top of all the things that mm. markets need to be concerned about this morning. <laughs> Absolutely. But, uh, but no, as far as the calendar today, um, we've got the Med Business Survey coming up uh, this morning. So I think oh, yeah, that's obviously yep. going to be the main economic event in, uh, in our time zone, at least. And I think we'll probably be as locked on to the various sort of price indicators in terms of input prices out put prices, retail prices, etc. as to what that's, you know, how much that gels with all of the anecdotal evidence that uh, of companies raising prices here. So, um, you know, and obviously the impact of, uh, you know, of what the, you know, the, the Russian invasion of Ukraine and how that's impacted confidence. But I uh, say no clues here, but uh, I think there'll be a few things to, to extract from that. But mm. um, yes, other than that, it's pretty thin. Other than just on those US trade numbers, um, we're going to have an eye-poppingly record U.S. trade deficit today. We've already had the uh, the preliminary numbers just for the goods trade, and they were about seven or eight billion dollars um, more extreme than than any uh, trade numbers in history. So that will attract a few headlines, but market impact, I suspect, zip. Mm. Yeah. Yep, it's all what happens in Ukraine, obviously, uh, sadly. Good to talk, Ray. Catch you again soon. Thanks. Well, Dave, thanks, Phil. And that is the situation we find ourselves in this Tuesday morning, how it all plays out. Goodness only knows. That's it for today, though. I'm Phil Dobby for now. Back again tomorrow morning. See you then.